This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Coach, our adaptive sales coaching featuring five-minute quick coaching personalized to each sales rep. Learn more about Sales Fuel Coach at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. As everybody knows, we've been bending this podcast content into real time, and we have an amazing guest today, Lee, who's going to talk about AI, COVID-19, uh, his background is amazing, and I'm in- in- interested to hear kind of some of his, his ideas for social good in COVID. Yeah, and it's really important right now because we need all the help we can get. We need all the minds we can get, whether they be artificial or or human, uh, to, to solve the issues that we're facing today. And of course, COVID is just one of them, but there there are others, and we'll we'll talk about a lot of that. Absolutely. So, welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. As you know, Audrey Strong here, Vice President of Communications at SalesFuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith, the President and CEO of SalesFuel. All right. So, Neil Sahota is our guest today. We are very lucky to have him. An IBM Master Inventor, United Nations Artificial Intelligence Advisor, author of the book, Own the AI Revolution, and a professor at the University of California, Irvine. 20-year-plus career, worked with enterprises on the business and marketing strategies to create next-generation products and solutions. This guy's not just an early adopter. He's almost like the Genesis guy, Um, as well as helping organizations create the culture, community, and ecosystem needed to achieve success, such as the United Nations AI for Good initiative. So, Neil, you are very um, community-minded. Neil also actively pursues social good and volunteers and nonprofits, currently helping the Zero Abuse Project to prevent child sexual abuse, as well as Planet Home, which is an organization to engage youth culture in sustainability initiatives. So, Neil, welcome. Thank you for giving us some of your valuable time today. Hey, thanks, Audrey Lee. Really excited to be here. Great to have you. Great to have you. So the first thing we want to do, though, is uh, Lee and I were chit-chatting before you joined us in the room here, is have you define artificial intelligence? It's kind of an overused, tossed around term. What is it and what isn't it? So we can kind of narrow in what we're talking about. That's the eternal question because the definition (laughs) keeps changing. (laughs) Um, Very simply put, AI is a machine that can do some sort of task that requires some level of cognition, requires some level of thought, without the supervision of a human being. So, you know, you think about like, you know, we always talk about facial recognition or understand natural language, mm-hmm. but there is a lot of hype out there, but there are actually a lot of incredible AI solutions. Like there's an AI associate lawyer that can read court documents, uh, a complaint, actually generate deposition questions, interrogatories, file court papers. You got another one that's actually very good at we call artificial empathy, the ability to read the emotional state of a person. Oh, wow. Coach another human on how to speak to that person and say, like, this person is very auditory and they care more about, like, you know, details over fun or feature. And so you need to use these types of words and focus the conversation on these aspects for them. And of course, then you have the Russian Twitter bots. Unfortunately, you know, it's a tool you can use it to create or to destroy. That's the problem is, is we, have, we as people have to pick what we want to do. Right. So um, 
for the social good aspect of this with the organizations you're working with, what are some other examples of the way you're using AI with the organizations that are meaningful to you? Well, one of the biggest illnesses in the world is actually loneliness. Uh, about mm-hmm. 40% of the world actually suffers from it. And it's, it's, I hate to say, especially in COVID-19 times, it's probably getting worse. And one of the things that we're actually working on is a, a project where you create a, an AI buddy, so to speak, that gives these people an outlet, not a substitute, but an outlet to actually communicate with. So that if they are feeling lonely or they have an episode, you know, or they're extremely introverted, they have something that they can at least talk to and build some confidence, feel like they're part of something so they can actually then go out and build real bridges or relationships with human beings. And yes. so there's, there's actually a research project going on in Nairobi, Kenya, of all places, called Loving AI. Again, not probably what most people think when I say loving AI, but <laughs> to actually see if we can teach an AI unconditional love to help people with loneliness. And, you know, if you'll bear with me for a second here, it, it's turned into this really deep experience into what it means to be human, because how do you define unconditional love? And how is unconditional love different than regular love or the love between two spouses or a parent and a child or two siblings? And so, you know, we can only, she can only understand what we teach it. So we've actually gone this deep exploration of actually what it means to be human. So I actually believe that AI is helping us be more human. That's interesting. Uh, so I'm really curious to know I mean, the topic of the day, hot topic of the day. How can AI help us adapt to a COVID-19 world, the one that we're living in right now? Well, that's a great question, Lee, because, you know, I know COVID-19 not a great situation, but uh, some people are actually calling it the great accelerator and that some of the things we thought we couldn't do, wouldn't do, or would take too long to do is suddenly in full force. And one of those is actually around food production. So we've, we've seen that the food bank lines have been very long. We see farmers are letting crops rot in the fields because they just have no way of picking them. They're dumping millions of gallons because there's not enough people to, to buy these distributors. And so we're now seeing that where we can use AI to try and match farmers and regular people together to actually source food. We're seeing help in other ways around supply chain and logistics. We're seeing more rise of AI tutors. We see more eyes of these kind of like AI chatbots again to give people an outlet, especially as they deal with stress, anxiety, addiction. But perhaps one that most people are going to be most interested in is, is uh, there's an area called generative design, where AI, rather than just tell the AI, like, I want this, you explain some things about something, like, let's say you want to build a plane, right? You don't tell it this is the things for a plane. You tell it it's got to have thrust and left and all these things. And you say, I want a plane that can hold 200 people, go 15,000 miles, have this level of fuel efficiency. And the AI will actually generate millions upon millions of designs to try and make that happen. And we've actually seen it like fabricate new materials that we've never made before to do that and then give the five to seven top designs to a human engineer. Well, we're now exploring this for viruses where we can actually see the, with the AI could actually generate all different types of mutations for COVID, but more on top of that, actually generate potential viruses we haven't seen yet. And then actually break down the virus genomics. We could actually 
accelerate the ability to create a vaccine. Maybe in the very near future, we might be able to prevent epidemics, let alone pandemics. Hmm. And you know, I know that Watson, since you've been an IBM guy, has been you know, very heavily used in detection of uh, breast cancer and, and trying to find uh, uh, some solutions for that. I mean, so it's, it's, uh, it, it's great to see that this technology being used in the pharmaceutical industry when we so desperately need it at the moment. Well, for sure. I mean, I think we all have a laser focus on healthcare right now. We, that's something we all need. So, it, you know, the real hope is in the future that, you know, we'll, we'll have some assistance for doctors and nurses. They'll free up more of their time so they can spend more time with patients and people with complex cases. But, I, you know, I can tell you that AI has been in healthcare for nine years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That extra five minutes that a doctor can spend with a patient makes all the difference in the world. Uh, I've got uh, several friends of mine then who who are executive coaches, you know, of various healthcare uh, providers and everything like that. And that's that's the, that's the big thing is like you know you've got a lot of questions when you're a patient, you're going through stuff, and you need understanding. And it's it's very frustrating when the doctor is in and out, rushing out the door, can't wait to you know can't wait to leave as soon as they get there. And that uh, letting them have that extra moment or two or whatever, I, I think makes a huge impact on the quality of care. Wouldn't you think? No, hundred percent. We uh, we know that bedside manner is so important for diagnosis and treatment. Um, I actually had a cousin that was asked to consult on a case, and uh, you know they were trying to figure out. And he's a like pulmonary cardiologist, and he actually spent like thirty minutes with the patient and wound up discovering this person liked to drink out of some cup they made thirty years ago asked what the cup was made out of it. It apparently had lead in it. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, never would have found out if he didn't spend that time with the patient. Interesting. So uh, your book um, obviously has a lot of good suggestions for our listeners, and you talk about automation, time compression, convergence, and connectivity. You're working on the global playing field, Neil, but for somebody listening to this who's like has their own company or wants to get involved, what sort of a micro version process where I could take whatever resources or AI I think I have and offer? What's the low-hanging fruit in the way I can go at this to help my community? That's a great question, Audrey. I actually believe that people should tackle local problems, but local problems often have global solutions because different parts of the world suffer from the same issues. And, you know, honestly, I've seen it, it doesn't take much. It takes really the mindset to say, whatever I'm doing today, in addition to the normal work and making money, is there a chance to create some social impact, right? Maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but we don't have that mindset to look for it. But if you you start looking for it, you actually might find something. And there's lots of great tools, lots of great programs out there like City AI, which is based on creating local community groups of people that want to help and get together. And I can tell you they're in the top 80 metro areas around the world. And I think you'd be surprised how many people are willing to lend a hand, how many nonprofits are out there. You can reach out to a nonprofit called Net Hope that works with a lot of the nonprofits, especially in the U.S. The, I think a lot of the dots are out there. It's just having that, what is it that I want to do, and then find a way to actually get connected. And the great thing about all these organizations, including the United Nations, is if you're having trouble finding those people, they probably know someone that can help you find those people. But it still starts with 
What is it that I want to do? Where do I want to help? What's the problem I want to try and solve? Something that Audrey alluded to at, at the opening of the show uh, is that AI is a term that seems like it's been bastardized by the marketers out there. <laughs> and so how can, you know, so when we're getting all these solutions uh, thrown at us, you know, from vendors and everything like that come across our desk or, or email inboxes, like how can we tell what's real AI and what's fake AI? You know, what, what, you know where AI is just, you know, it's, it's an algorithm or it's a piece of software or whatever, but it's not really AI. It, it can be difficult. I mean, I, you know, as a founding father, the U.S. said the, the price of freedom is ever constant vigilance. It's the same when it comes to AI. Um, if you're just looking at something that just seems to automate, odds are it's probably not AI. If you're looking at something where I'm doing just, we call it augmented search, I'm asking a question and it's looking up an answer, probably not AI, maybe a little bit of machine learning, but not necessarily AI. Real AI really comes into play when we're actually trying to solve complex tasks or problems. And that's the beauty of AI is we can ask it something we don't know the answer to and we'll actually try and figure it out. And so I always say when it comes to AI, look and see, does it have that ability to learn and answer those types of questions? Does it understand natural language like the way we talk? Like it can have a regular conversation with it. You know, I don't have to worry about keywords or anything like that. I mean, try putting in Google, show me restaurants near me, but not pizza. It'll give you a bunch of pizza places, right? Because it just sees the keyword. AI will understand the context of what you're saying. Um, the truth is a lot of the AI, we actually all use AI, but a lot of it is actually behind the scenes. You know, it's kind of the inside engine that we don't see that often. So I, I wouldn't get too concerned about what is AI, what is not AI. But if you're trying to build something, whoever you're working with, you want to make sure they actually know what they're doing because too many people are creating decision trees or these paths or doing a lot of coding. AI doesn't require that much coding. Most of the coding for AI is the user experience, you know, the wrapper around it. AI is really about the machine getting lots of data, having those human trader, trainers and figuring out things on its own. It's kind of wiring its own mind like we do as people we learn in school. Speaking what? of school, I was going to let you know my dad was a graduate of UC Davis. He was huh. a veterinarian out there, so I have a fondness for your, where you're teaching at. Um, <laughs> talking a little bit about teaching, I, I love that you sort of referred um, in your questionnaire for the show about what I call falling up. Well, talking a little bit about leadership, how you think that people – you think the number one mistake is people are, I love that you wrote this, you, people get promoted to their level of incompetence. <laughs> the, the Peter principle is still hard at work. I, I have <laughs> seen that in newsrooms that I've worked in, you know, people that fall up. It's like, what do they, they take a three hour dinner and they get promoted. So you want to talk a little bit about that for us as well, because I, you work with so many different stakeholder groups. I would love more on that from you. Sure. I, I hate to say it this way is that, you know, we always think that the more job, the better job we do, the more we'll move up the ladder. And, and in theory, we should. But you reach a rung where the next step, the work is significantly different. And I, I've seen this in pretty much every industry and every type of career, <laughs> especially when you kind of go from that, you know, really, I'm a great marketing analyst or I'm a fantastic software developer to suddenly have to take a managerial role. Yeah, great salesperson being promoted to sales manager. Yeah, and it's like you're going from doing the work to managing people, right? And that's a huge shift. 
you shit to what your actually responsibilities and the way you should actually approach the job. We actually never teach people how to do that, right? We just assume because they were so good at selling or so good at finance or programming that they'll just make that leap. And that's not the case. I mean, I, I hate to say it this way, but I was a you know part-time professor. Just because you're really a, an incredible researcher and domain expert doesn't mean you're a good teacher or you know how to communicate and teach these concepts. Mm-hmm. And so, and I've unfortunately seen this too often where people get promoted in these roles and suddenly they're super unhappy because they either they don't like the work they're doing or they're totally ill-prepared for it. And often I, they wind up leaving their company and going somewhere else and taking the job just below, right? Going mm-hmm. back to what they mm-hmm. were good at. So that leads me to wonder uh, a question I hear frequently, which is, now put this in IBM terms, will Watson take our jobs? No, it, 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 it won't. Um, the, the goal is not to replace people, but to free up our time so we can do more value-add, more complex work. Right? It's just like we were talking about the doctor or the lawyer getting more time to spend with a, a patient or a client. I think we all know that we like to get some of the tedious tasks off our plate. And this is an opportunity to actually do that. You know, while mach- machines AI can do a lot of stuff, there's a lot of things that people actually do much better than machines. You know, when it comes to creativity, imagination, thinking outside the box, right? AI isn't able to do these things. And, and I think it's really about getting ready for the future of work and not worrying about my job. That's, I think, the key question here. I just unfortunately don't see a whole lot of companies, you know, educational systems getting people ready for that. That's fascinating. Well then I, Lee, I'd like to do many more creative things in my work for you and less widget making. (laughs) So I stay safe for the next hundred years. Um, Neil, we've got just a few minutes left. You want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the book and by the way, everybody it's neilsahoda.com and neil underscore Sahoda for Twitter and his name on LinkedIn. So talk about the book. Thanks, Audrey. I wrote this book called Own the AI Revolution by McGraw-Hill. It's available at Amazon and all major book retailers. But I wrote it to help the non-technical business people because a lot of books and even talks I saw at the time, very technically oriented, or there are a lot of fear-mongering, which I didn't like. It's just like you get people riled up, but don't give them any thing to do or solutions to, you know, abate the situation. And that's the goal of the book is not just to help people understand what is AI, but how they can actually use it, how they can actually disrupt, help their business, help their community with it. Well, fantastic. Well, we appreciate some of your time. Really interesting thoughts and um, ways of using it that I hadn't thought of prior mm-hmm. to meeting you. So this is fantastic. Thanks, Neil. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks, Audrey. Thanks, Lee. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.